Good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, indeed. It's Sunday morning, June 11th, 2023. And the title of this morning's message is Enough is Enough. Enough is Enough. Enough is Enough. As we get started together this morning, we want to tell you right off the cuff that it has been a real joy watching this body rise in new heights, watching this body strive with greater perseverance and deeper conviction to step into each of your roles as the very people of ministry. We've been watching you rise to the challenge. We've been watching you rise to new heights in the Lord and function as God truly apportioned for you to function. And we're encouraged and joyful about it. Yeah. The Lord has prepared works of service for you before you even took your first breath, church. And you are not just learning what you're capable of. No, you are also tasting a bit more of what it's going to take to gain new victories and to gain new, crown, new ground for the kingdom of our God. Church, the Lord has been helping us to see a different part of his character that we just have not engaged with enough yet. I mean, any cursory reading of the Tanakh, any time spent at LCM will tell you that God is not like our preconceived notions made him out to be. He's not just a nice God. He's not a quiet God. He's not meek and waiting for people to follow him. No, he is a God that is defiant in the face of the enemy. He's a God that is just not willing to listen to anything the enemy has to throw at him. He is a God that is obstinate in everything that he has. He sets a, a path and he will not move to the left or right. He will go straight forward to that path. We can define our God as being hard-hearted. Yes, hard-hearted. Meaning whatever is in his heart, he will not let it slip. He will not let it change. He will go after it with everything that he has. He is a God who is resolute in his plans. He will not bend to anyone's will. And if that's who he is, what does that mean you are, church? That's right. Just like him. These attributes can be used against the Lord or they can be used against Satan. Yeah. You get to choose how this is implemented. We're learning to fully consecrate these attributes and use them to advance the kingdom of light. Come on. Church, you know that there are great pressures and high anxiety situations that are destined for every man and every woman that chooses to expand the kingdom of God. What that means is you wake up on a normal day and something, some kind of trial is going to meet your efforts. You ever woke up and everything was going good until you got to work? Yes. Have you ever woken up and your appendix exploded? Yes. Or you woke up and, and your child gets out of bed and immediately throws up first thing in the morning? Come on, you know what we're talking about. These kind of situations and even more difficult situations are befitting for the sons and daughters of the king. Everything else might feel screwed up in your life. But we want to tell you this morning that Yahweh Sabaoth Adonai is for you. And he will help you in these situations so that you complete the work that he sent you for. 
When you take your stand in this way, trusting in his character that you desire to manifest on the earth, everything else in your life will bend around what God has placed inside of you. Come on, that's because you have the spirit of the living God inside of you leading you. That means when you take your stand on what you know his will is, when you take your stand of defiance and you place your feet and you say, this is where I know I must stand and I will not move, and your resoluteness matches his, then that means everything in the physical, in the spiritual, everything in the heavens and on the earth must bend to the stand that you take. That's the truth of the king that we serve. That's the kind of kingdom that we serve, church. The truth is is that our God has called the very end all the way from the beginning. From the beginning of time, time as we know it, God said, this is what's going to happen at the end, and I'm going to call it right now. He did it from the third chapter of the entire Bible. Turn to Genesis 3 with us. The third chapter in the entire word of God, God is already calling his shot. He's already calling the end game, telling all of the heavens and the earth, this is what I will accomplish. Verse 14 says, so the Lord God said to the serpent. He said this to the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, serpent, and you will strike his heel. From the beginning of time as we know it, not the beginning of time altogether, but in our, in our time in history, these words of the Lord to the serpent had been spoken. And we're all fighting to gain ground in the kingdom, to gain ground in this area because we're anticipating the moment when the serpent is fully and finally crushed. And we have overwhelming and lasting and permanent victory forever and ever. Man, it's nice to know that we don't serve a God who's just guessing, right? It's nice to know that we serve a God who knows what's going to happen in the end and he's orchestrating everything towards that end. Look at the certainty of how this conflict will resolve. In the third chapter of the Bible, God calls his shot. In the third to last chapter of the Bible, God seals that with clarity. Wow. In Revelation 20, verses 1 through 2. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is one of the passages that helps us to explicitly tie together terms in the Bible all the way throughout the Tanakh. Terms like dragon, ancient serpent, devil, Satan. They tie them together as the same enemy, and it's revealed in the last part of the Bible that the same enemy has been at work against the sons of God throughout the entire Tanakh. Now skip down to verse 7 to engage with his final destiny. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, 
and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Doesn't sound very good, does it? But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What you must do, knowing what your God knows, knowing who you serve and knowing his ultimate end, what you must learn to do is stand on the inevitability of our enemy's defeat. We know that he will ultimately be defeated so we can stand now like him defiant in the face of the enemy. He will be crushed. He will be cast down. He, say will be, will be, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And you know what? He knows this. This hasn't escaped the devil's notice. He knows the word better than anybody in this room. He knows that there is one God, and he shudders. He knows that he's going to lose, and he will not give up without a fight. Church, we must stand on the inevitability of the enemy's defeat. As Treaster just told us, he knows he is lost. You are literally fighting a loser. In Genesis 3, the God of all creation called his shot and said, You will lose. As his sons and daughters, we must stand on that truth. Do you remember last Sunday in the message, in the Father's image? What are we called to be? Someone help me out. Speak to us this morning. How about more More than conquerors? conquerors. You're not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror in this great story that is the kingdom. Do you know the Bible is a story of a marriage? Do you know that it's about sonship, it's also a story about war and warfare. As you reflect on Ephesians 6, 12, you need to keep that in mind because it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's because we are in a struggle. Other translations use words like wrestling or wrestling. Like a fight, a battle, or contention. But in the midst of that great contention and that great contest, bodies like this one, like Life Changing Ministries and the Churches of the One Association, are advancing in this war with a magnificent pace. Can someone say, I'm advancing? What you just said is true. You are advancing, church, and you're doing it at an incredible pace because we're full of men and women who are eager to fight the Lord's battles. In the midst of this struggle, you may be experiencing demonic dreams, demonic individuals, or any kind of demonic pushback in an increasing measure, but that is your validation. We're reminded of this validation weekly, if not daily. The struggle's real. The struggle is real. Now, got me, brother? Yeah. Oh, stay here. Yeah? 
Oh, come oh. on, I'm back. Struggle's real. The yeah. struggle's real, guys. That's Look, a temporary setback that happened five seconds ago doesn't define this message. That's right. And neither does your setback define you right now in this moment. Woo. Amen. With that being said, there is an aspect of warfare that our enemy is much more fond of using than we often realize. We don't often have a revelation of this, but we're going to engage with it this morning. He knows that he's outmaneuvered. We've talked about that already. He already has this knowledge. He knows that he's outmanned. He knows that he's underpowered and even strategically disadvantaged. Our enemy is one that is losing the war on all fronts. But yet, how is it that he's entirely unwilling to surrender? Why is it that knowing his final outcome, he bids to fight to the death that he might take some with him? Do you guys get this imagery? He knows where he's going. He knows what the final outcome is going to be. So he's going to try to take everybody that he possibly can with him. That's a revelation right there. You know, if he can take people, that's one thing. But if he can't take you, if he can't take a group of fired up men, then his goal quickly becomes, I want to slow the pace of the rate. I want to slow the pace of the rate of growth. I want to slow the pace of the rate of this conquering spirit and the conquering nature of the kingdom of light. What can I do to slow the pace down just a little bit so that maybe I can discourage them enough that they'll abandon the work? Ooh, that will satisfy him right there. To that end, he resorts to more subtle, more obscure methods of warfare. Not at all uncommon to those who know that they are losing. He expends himself all day long to tactics such as psychological warfare, such as posturing himself to be much larger than he really is, all the while exploiting the weaknesses of his attackers so much as to bog them down in their fears. Wow. Guys, he does this by relentlessly taunting the people of God so that he might inspire some of them to stop and think twice before engaging in the next battle. All right, let's get some interaction. Who in this room has served in the military? Those of you that served in the military, you know that an enemy who has something to lose is not the worst enemy. An enemy that will negotiate is not the worst enemy. Yeah. The worst enemy is one that knows he's going to be defeated, and so he's going to try everything in his power to make your victory worse for you as you try to attain it. He tries to slow you down. He's going to make you suffer for your victory. He's going to taunt you and relentlessly attack you, knowing he's going to lose, but try everything within his power to make you give up before you can reach the victory. You see, the taunts of the enemy are much more of a problem than we are aware of. If it didn't work, if the taunts of the enemy did not work, then the enemy would not use them against us. But he does every single day. We are learning to become aware of the taunts of the enemy and their intended effect. Their intended effect 
or to get you to not reach out and conquer, to slow the pace with which you're running at so that you do not advance more and more in your marriages, in your children, and in the kingdom of God at large, in your workplaces and everywhere else. We have to understand that if we're experiencing the taunts of the enemy regularly, it means that we are actually in the battle. It doesn't mean that you are a loser. doesn't mean that you're in danger. It means you're in the fight if you're experiencing the taunts of the enemy. It means that you're close enough to the battle to be within earshot of the enemy's cry. And that should inform you that you are actually making progress in the kingdom of God. He is terrified of what you will do next. And he's trying to stop, with every, stop you with everything he can. Most often, though, the taunts of Satan do find their intended target in our hearts and minds. I'm not talking about physical attacks so much. We're not talking about the Starbucks barista got your order wrong and it's frustrating you. We're talking about the intended target that the enemy launches at your heart and mind. And they actually do more damage than striking us down completely. They get us to reconsider advancement. They get us to reconsider that courage that we had last Sunday and go, ah, that was kind of made up. This is what we're going to conquer today, church. So we're going to engage with some of these taunts of the enemy that we've been experiencing, and we know if we've been experiencing it, you have been too. Okay, so our next psalm is written by the sons of Korah, who are men that have grown, that we've grown to admire. Thank you. Thank you. Because it's been taunting me back here with that old bubble guts that it's got going on. Does this sound better? You guys still with us? Let's talk about a song of Korah. The sons of Korah were men that we've grown to admire. And if men that we admire can speak honestly about these taunts, how much more should we engage with their struggle and emulate their faith? The sons of Korah are no strangers to the taunts of the enemy. So let's engage with Psalm 42, verses 9 through 10. Y'all with us this morning? Verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? You know, I used to think less of the sons of Korah because of these things that we're reading. I used to re- think less of men like this, like, oh, man, that's, that's before the Spirit. These men weren't filled with the Spirit of courage. But it didn't take me long to experience what they are experiencing in this psalm. And I thank God that it's written in this, in this book because I know that this is not uncommon to men of God. I've learned that it's not wrong to be taunted. I've learned that being taunted means that I'm actually dangerous to the enemy and he's scared of what I will produce. I want to talk to you about a taunt that was in my heart as recent as three weeks ago. I gave way to a harmful influence in my home. I had allowed my kids to have an iPad, and I allowed them to play little video games on the iPad. I actually justified it along the way. What I did is I said, you know, I know many men of God out there who have allowed their kids to play video games, and they turned out all right. 
I myself dabbled in video games when I was their age, and look at me now. That is not an endorsement. All along, I knew that it was producing bad fruit in my kids. I could see it. The more and more that they, they, this door was open to them, the more and more they asked us every day, Dad, can we play on the iPad? Dad, can we play on the iPad? The more and more I talked to them about the Word of God, that I saw their eyes rolling. I saw, uh, okay, I'll read the Bible because you tell me to, Daddy. More and more, I began to see them become rebellious I began to see them say things like no to my wife and buck up against her authority. Why? Because there were things of their flesh that were being given way to, and any time they had to crucify their flesh, they hated it. And it's because of this influence. And this is not a message against video games, but you'll see our point. You see, I was taunted by the enemy all day about it. I was taunted by the enemy knowing that it was producing bad things, but the enemy was taunting me saying, you can't correct this. You can't take a stand against this practice. You're the one who let them do it. They're going to hate you because you're taking, away, you're taking away something they like. They're going to hate their upbringing. The enemy taunted me with, this mistake has gone on way too long to correct now. You might as well just let it play out and let the Lord deal with it because you've let it go on too long and it's become too big for you to tackle. The enemy taunted me with, Justin, you don't have the strength to carry out the correction that you want to give them. What are you going to replace their time with? Are you actually going to disciple them and take the time to actually pour into them what they need? The enemy taunted me with, Justin, you'll be miserable at the outcome if you do this. I mean, you'll actually have to spend more time away from what you want to do and feed them with the word. The worst one was, Justin, you're going to be completely embarrassed to bring this out to the light. I mean, Justin, you stand in a team of men that preach regularly that this is not something we do. You've heard it from the pulpit. This is not something we allow. It'll be way too embarrassing for you to bring it to the light. What I eventually came to is my wife texted me one day, and it was probably the fifth time that week. She said, your son told me no when I told him to do something. I sat there in my car and I prayed, and eventually I came to the grip with the facts that enough is enough. You see, I took a stand on what I knew I should be conquering. I sat in the car while I was at work, damn the consequences Full speed ahead, I am going to conquer the area of my home that I know needs to be conquered. I took my sons into the car with me after a foundations and I preached the best message of my life to my two boys. And you know what they actually did? They responded rightly. They said, yes, daddy, you're right. We will do this. The fruit has been even better and better since I brought the correction. My sons have been telling me, Dad, you know what we're reading in the Word today? What do you think about this? Notice this tie from the Torah to the Nevi'im. My son told me the other day, Dad, I know what country I want to preach the gospel in when I'm 18. I said, what is that, son? He said, Zimbabwe. I said, tell me, tell me why. And get this, he said, because I know they're poor over there. And they're more ready to receive the good news of the gospel and the fruit will spread like wildfire. 
You know what I now realize? That those thoughts I was having were just taunts. It felt like mortal agony in my bones. It felt like all day long I was being oppressed by something I could not conquer. It made me think that I was abandoned by God and I would never reach my calling because of the problem I introduced in my life. But now I know and hear me that those taunts were only intended to cause me to falter. Those taunts were only intended to cause me to accept a stalemate in my home and not go and engage with battle with the enemies. He knew that he would lose. He knew what the ultimate outcome was, and he was just trying to prohibit me from trying to conquer this area. And I can tell you, I know now that those taunts were nothing more than just mere taunts. I am standing in victory as we speak to you right now. Come on. Now, we're going to do another song, but can you say praise God for transparent preaching? What Treaster just displayed for you is the key to changing the nations, to changing the atmosphere everywhere we go by preaching from our own experiences and how the spirit of God and the word of God have rescued us. In our second psalm, a man named Ethan, the Ezraite is actively engaging in his taunting situation. You know, he is one of the wisest men in history, according to 1 Kings 4.31. But he was no stranger to the taunts of the enemy. This is Psalm 89, and we're going to pick up in verse 46. It says, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all men. What man can live and not see death or save himself from the power of the grave? O Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemy, enemies have mocked, O Lord, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Let's look at some of the taunts in this passage. Taunts like, God is hidden from you, and you can't find him. Or taunts like, you are in a perpetual cycle of feeling like you're being punished, and that that punishment is never going to end. Or, I feel the sentence of death on me. I feel the sentence of death on my future. I feel the sentence of death on my calling, and everything that I seem to put my hand to seems to fail. Mm. Or that my work for the Lord is futile. Church, I know in my own life I've had to wrestle with these same, same taunts. And it's not just on a month-to-month -month basis. Sometimes these taunts are daily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That God is not with me. That my plans will not succeed one of the taunts of the enemies is that he likes to use the n-word he really likes the n-word that n-word is never he loves that word because it's not that i don't lack the commitment or the desire to put in the hard work it's the thought that no matter how hard i try it will never produce the fruit that I want. 
It's a lie. And its goal is to get me to focus on accomplishment rather than relationship with my father. These lies try to weave their way into every facet of our lives in order to get us to slow our pace or renegotiate what the relationship that we have with the Lord. I want you to catch verse 51 again of Psalm 89. It displays a truth about the taunts of the enemy in vivid detail. It says, the taunts with which your enemies have mocked, O Lord, with which they have mocked every step. Say every step. Every Every step of your anointed one. Church, I want to tell you that the enemy's only ability is to mock your steps. His intent is that through his tireless taunts, he might persuade a few to pack their bags and turn back. But that's not going to happen in this house. Let's talk about our father's intent, though. His intent was that in the face of mounting opposition from the enemy, that his faithful followers, that is you, will be the example to the heavenly principalities of the unshakable and conquering spirit of Jesus that resides within you. Now let's take those taunts as our validation that we're getting closer to the enemy's camp and that we are a threat to him. Let's say that we are more than just a threat. We're a triple threat. We're a vessel filled with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit designed to make war on the enemy. All right, you guys heard Psalm 42 and you engage with it. You heard Psalm 89 and you engage with it. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 102 for our third psalm. It's written and titled something incredibly unique. You might not have ever noticed this before in Psalm 102, but it says, a prayer of an afflicted man. When he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord. That is the title of Psalm 102. We actually don't even know who this man is. But whoever he is, he is no stranger to the taunts of the enemy. Psalm 102 starting in verse 8 together. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me, oh my goodness. Those who rail against me, Use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food. I'm sure that's tasty. And mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. This man of laments is speaking to the Lord here. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. So let's look at some of the taunts that this afflicted man is experiencing. He's thinking in his ear, hey, you're a curse and you're not a blessing. You're a curse and you're not a blessing. Everywhere you go, that's who you are. Taunt in his ear. Hey, your brothers are being nourished. They're succeeding. They're pressing forward. But you're not. But you're not. Hey, oh man, you you got lifted by the Lord last week. That's fantastic, but he lifts you only to just throw you down in the dirt again. That's your lot. That's your process of life. That's what this journey is all about. Can you hear the taunts, church? Hey, your very life is withering away before your eyes. You're not getting any younger. You're getting older. Yeah, Yeah, I can tell that one hit home a little bit. Let me tell you how this hits home with me. 
this morning. These same taunts I have been hearing in my ears. I've been hearing, hey, I'm a detriment, not a benefit to my brothers. It's a lie. I've been hearing, hey, I'm experiencing testing and trial, but I'm not overcoming. You see how I put I there instead of you? Yeah, that's because there are times when these taunts are being spoken to you, and it looks like, hey, you are withering away in the greatest season that should be the greatest season in your entire life, and we actually make a decision in that moment to put I there and claim it as our own. Are you engaging with this yet? I'm faint. I'm, I personally can't shake myself free from this and just get the victory. I don't have the strength to do it. Church, enough is enough this morning. I'm sick and tired of giving way to these demonic taunts. I'm ready to get a lasting victory over these attacks that cannot and must not remain in my life. Oh, I know that I'm in a real struggle of life and death, but it's time that life springs forth right out of the death, right out of what might be trying to choke me out like a demonic serpent trying to wrap itself around me. Church, enough is enough, and we are going to get victory this morning. We hope you're seeing this morning that the devil is nothing more than just a big bully. You ever see anybody get picked on in school? And a bully who's actually bigger than him keeps taunting, keeps taunting. And finally the kid, enough is enough, and just reaches back and cocks him right in the face. You see, there is something that the taunts can produce in you. is a desire to say enough is enough. I'm going to deal with this. And in fact, it's not just me. I'm going to bring my brothers with me. We're going to deal with this problem once and for all. You see the sons of Korah, Etan the Ezraite, the afflicted man who is faint and pouring out his lament before the Lord, these are all men who can hear the taunts of the enemy just like we can. And they chose to engage them head on and actually speak the taunts out loud. This is what I'm struggling with. Hey, brothers, I'm going to speak out loud what I'm struggling with because I'm calling to you to rally to my side. Let's fight this together. Why does the enemy choose to work through taunts? We told you he does this in order to halt God's progress through us. He knows that a man like Caleb is going to conquer the, en the enemies of God. But if he can just taunt him a little bit, put enough thoughts in his head, he might get him to slow down the pace. He knows that Carlos is on the warpath. He knows that Chris is going to grow up to be a mighty, ma mighty man of God. But if he can just halt that in any way, he can slow down his rate of decline. He knows he can make us feel like we're alone, feel like we're losing, feel like he's stronger than we are and our God is far away, and then entice us away from the work that must be done so that we can continue to build the body and expand the kingdom. But it is not going to happen. We want to show you what it looks like to not just wrestle, but wrestle and win the way the word instructs us to win. Come on. David writes Psalm 22, and it will be our proof text for how to win. Psalm 22, verse 1, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, 
but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. Has anybody in this room felt like that? You cry out, but it doesn't seem like God answers? It's not that God is not speaking. In fact, Psalm 19 tells us that there is always a message that's being proclaimed about who God is and what he is doing. It's not that God isn't speaking. He speaks regularly amongst this body. It's that you are having trouble hearing the Lord over the sounds of warfare all around you. There's a certain noise in battle that drowns out everything, even the voice of the commander that is telling you what to do from behind the line. We have commanders in this room being the word, the spirit, our pastors, our elders, always giving us command, but the sounds of war drone on and on and on. The enemy's guns sound loudly and we can hear them in the distance. But even more true is not being able to hear his voice over your internal fears that are being drawn out by the sounds of war. But listen to how the psalmist turns on this. Verse 3, yet, say yet, yet yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And yet, enough is enough. This is the psalmist speaking out loud in the midst of the battle, the attributes of his great king. Speaking them out loud, kind of like going into the gates of praise. I am surrounded by warfare on every side. They are attacking me. My bones feel it, mortal agony. But I choose to praise the character of our commander. I choose to praise who he is in spite of it. This is the confidence in the testimonies of men that have gone before you and have been victorious in the very same battle. Oh, my God is powerful, and I've seen it in Baja's life. I've seen it in Charlie's life. I've seen it in Judah's life, in Wade's life. He won't let me down either. There has been an unbroken chain of saints engaging in the battle since day one, and I know that I won't be left without. Speak it with us, church. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are enthroned as the Holy One. Our fathers of our faith. Our fathers of our faith. They have put their trust in you. They have put their trust in you. They were not be they were not forsaken. They were not forsaken. Therefore I won't be forsaken either. Therefore I will not be forsaken either. See you are learning that you will wrestle like they have. It's how we get into the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You will wrestle like they have. And you will win like they have. So we're still in Psalm 22 and we're going to take our next taunt. And it starts in verse 6. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. Shaking their heads. Church, like David, we have to clench with the physical realities and the difficulties of your own body. What does that mean? Sometimes you're going to feel more like a worm than like a man. 
And every single person in your life, it seems like, is mocking you, and you are coming face to face with their insults. Their goal is to get you to agree with them. Because you're looking at yourself as just a worm, just a failure, and you're inclined to believe them. But the goal of the enemy is to get you to believe that that failure is true because he loves to point out your failure. Man, and he loves to write it down and chronicle it. And the next time you fail, he says, it's not just that you failed this time, but look at your track record. That's a taunt of the enemy. But like David, you will turn on this time and time again. These escalating taunts from the enemy are going to result in escalating love and zeal for the Lord. They're going to result in an escalating hope of his rescue and an escalating delight in his deliverance that is already on its way to you in your situation. Do you want to know how David turned on this? Look at verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. David said, enough is enough. I don't care what the world says about me. I know from birth, God Almighty called me. When I was innocent, at my mother's breast, he still called me. One day of insults and a mocking mocker is not going to define what God made me to be from the beginning. Church, I want to tell you, just like a mother takes care of a child, your God will take care of you in your situation. I'm looking at families that are fighting like the Phillips. God will take care of you. You are his son. The enemy wants you to believe the failure, but you are not a failure, Keith Phillips. You are a man of God that Adonai is going to rescue. I want you to vocalize a truth with me because that's what I do. I want you to vocalize some truths with me. Can you do that? Say, you brought me out of the womb. You caused me to trust in you. You are still my God. Church, you're being led through this difficulty. And your faith in him is actually growing as a result of the taunts. Your faith is actually growing through this process. And it's as simple as saying, you are still my God and I will wait for your deliverance, Holy One. The development of the kingdom inside of your lives is just as evident as reading through Psalm 22 and engaging with this process of David. Guys, let's go to verse 19. As we go to verse 19, you need to know that verses 11 through 18 are more engagement with the physical realities of David's situation. More times where he's clenching with it in a very physical way. In these verses, he's acknowledging, man, there are bulls of Bashan that are encircling me. Man, it feels like I'm surrounded on every side. My strength feels like it's dried up. In fact, my tongue feels like it wants to stick to the roof of my mouth to try to cause me to be mute in this situation and not to speak. But I refuse that. I will unstick the tongue in my mouth and I will praise my God right now. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. 
deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. You see, he, he went from being a worm to seeing how God sees him as a life that is precious before his king. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Oh my goodness. Most of the time we try to internalize these taunts, don't we? We try to I... just internalize them. Put them inside of us and just work with them and wrestle with them inside. Church, enough is enough this morning. No, we're rising up as defiant to these taunts. We are also, in the face of our defiance, going to turn and be pliable to our God. No, we're going to look at the taunts and be defiant and plant our feet. But we're also going to turn around and say, I'm pliable before you, Lord. I speak your praises in the great assembly. I worship you, mighty God. Change my heart and help me. You can see this engagement. He's saying, be not far off, my God. I know that you are close. I don't feel that you're close. I can't hear you right now, but I know that you are right next to me. I know that it's not my strength that will help me prevail. It's your strength. You are the strongest force in the universe, Lord. And my strength is found in that. Church, the Lord has, and he will purposefully put you in situations where you are in need of his deliverance, where you are in need of his rescue, where you must have his salvation right now. And you know that he will continue to be all of these things for you and so much more. Church, David doesn't just think these thoughts. He speaks them out. He unsticks his tongue and begins to proclaim these thoughts out. He cries out audibly with words that can be heard. Say this with us. Be not far off, Lord. Be not far off, Lord. You are my strength. You are my strength. Rescue me from my powerful enemy. See, what you just did is the cure to the enemy's taunts. Amen. What you just did right now in this assembly is the cure. Amen. We must learn to take what's in here and do it out there. Yeah. When we're alone, when we're with our kids, when we're with our wives, when we're with our team. This will bring you victory in the midst of greater and greater opposition. David is speaking this in Psalm 22, and you know who follows in his footsteps and does the exact same thing? The son of David when he was on the cross. He did the exact same thing, scorning the cross in its shame, but raised in victory. But do you think this victory is just for you? No, it's not. The product of the rounds of the wrestling match are in the following verses in verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You see, the ultimate aim of your victory, the victory over taunts, is so that you can declare. It's so that you can praise in the midst of the congregation. Why? It's because we are all being taunted together and we all need a brave man's testimony of how God is moving in the midst of your battle and inspiring us to rise up in the same manner. See, taunts spread 
like yeast. Have you heard it said that lies travel faster than the truth? They do. A lie of the enemy has a way of bouncing around in each family, bouncing around in each group, bouncing around from team member to team member until it affects the entire group and causes us all to be locked in a stalemate. But if taunts spread like yeast, praise spreads even more with even greater power. We have seen this true in our midst that all it takes is one bold man to declare the praises of God in our midst and we all rise up together inspired to take the fight of the enemy. I've seen Ray give up a shout for Jesus Christ and it has refreshed my soul. I've been in the middle of worship when I am despairing because I hear the taunts around me and then Carlos Rueda stands up and declares the praises of God and what that does is me is I want to fight with everything I have because I'm inspired. Your praise, your praise has the power to inspire other people in this room, church. Come on. This is for your brothers. We need your testimony. We're going to go to verse 23 because it's how we turn on this taunt of the enemy. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Yeah, come on. Praise him, church. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Verse 25. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Church, you can command others to fear the Lord and revere him in this way because you have experienced the trials. You have experienced the deliverance of your God and you have the authority to command the right response from those entrusted to your care. You just got to get vocal about it. Man, clinch with it for just a moment. How many of you have an amazing testimony, which is all of you? And the first thing that the enemy does is he attacks your confidence to speak it out. He says, if you step up to say that, you won't say the right words. You might misguide some people. Can I tell you that's a lying taunt of the enemy? You just got to get loud about what God's doing in your life. And he will take care of the rest. In the midst of this taunt, you need to know that God does not despise the one who is going through the affliction. He doesn't disdain your situation. He does not hide his face from you while you're growing through it. He listens to your cry for help. Come on, parents. You've had those days. You feel like you're failing. My children aren't obeying. They're not developing the way that they're supposed to. Do you know God listens to that cry for help? And he doesn't look at you and say, you're right, you are a failure. He says, no, just like I formed your children in your womb, I formed you the same way. And I will be their God and deliver you, deliver them just the way that I've delivered you. Church, in the midst of the taunt, no matter how long it may take, no matter how you feel about it, he will listen to you and he will respond to your cry. Your rounds of personal wrestling with these taunts, they translate to a pure resolve before God's people and the great assembly. 
your testimony and your praise is what brings power to the fellowship that we have here. Come on, are you guys with us this morning? Let's finish Psalm 22 out together. Verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him, church. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. Church, by your hand as the people of ministry, when you rise up against these taunts, when you stand up and you say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to loose my tongue and begin to speak what I know is true. Speak the testimony of God in my life. You know what's going to happen? The poor will eat and be satisfied because of your work. Those who seek the Lord will continue in life because of the words that are flowing from your mouth. Families of the nations, even to the ends of the earth, will learn how to bow down to the king of kings. Both the rich and the poor and everybody in between will feast, will worship, and will bow before him. And church, listen to this one. When you speak... Posterity and future generations will serve the Lord. They will continue in his testimony. They will proclaim his righteousness to the next generation, even of men and women that are yet unborn. How do we make this thing continue? You need to open up your mouth. You need to declare the word of God and don't be ashamed about it. Loose your tongue and declare the truths of God. Oh, church, enough is enough this morning. What Pastor Nick just said is going to happen. No matter what you think is going to stop it, that is going to happen. Come on, Carlos, give a hallelujah, Father of glory. It's funny. Our note says that this is the time in our message that we purely just rise up. I don't think we have not been doing that since the beginning. Listen, church, we really don't care about how you feel this morning regarding the efficacy of the taunts that are being fired at you. Some might say, but I I feel this way. Why do I feel this way? It doesn't matter what you think. You need to look at those thoughts and say, get out of here, you jabroni. Get out of here. And call on the name of the Lord. See, this is how Yahweh Sabaoth responds to the toothless taunts of the enemy. It's found in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 6. Why do the nations rebel? Why are the countries devising plots that will fail? The kings of the earth form a united front. The rulers collaborate against the Lord and his anointed king. They say, let's tear off the shackles they put on us. Let's free ourselves from the ropes. The one enthroned in heaven laughs in disgust. The Lord taunts them. 
Man, it was at that moment that the spiritual powers of the nations knew they had messed up. That's right. They screwed around a little too long and they found out. Verse 5, then he angrily speaks to them and terrifies them in his rage, saying, I myself have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. See, what you need to be reminded of this morning is that we serve a mighty king that only conquers. He always wins. And he has no threatening enemies that can encroach on his dominion. He literally finds their efforts laughable. And because you serve such a great king, what can you find laughable? Their efforts in your own lives. The taunts that you hear between your ears. What you need to be reminded of this morning is that he has put his conquering spirit inside of you. He has put the spirit of more than a conqueror inside of you. And his word is at your disposal at every moment that you are awake or asleep. Church, you know these taunts of the enemy? They haven't really gotten gotten any more creative over the centuries. Their tactics are really tiny. Their scope of influence is even smaller. And they're often a reflection of the exact things that are going to happen in the kingdom. What do we mean? Well, to do that, we're going to have to go to Nehemiah 4. Can someone say enough is enough? We're going to pick up in Nehemiah 4, verse 1. When Sanballat, sandbagging Sanballat, as we like to call him. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Which means he probably needed a new set of drawers. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? The taunts that were forecasted onto Nehemiah were intended for him to give up. They were presented as impossibilities, but Nehemiah actually accomplished what the enemy said was impossible. The taunts of the enemy are exactly what we are going to accomplish, and the enemy knows that. In fact, his taunts reveal where he is weakest and where he doesn't want us to attack. He's showing his hand. The taunts of the enemy show where he is the weakest and where he doesn't want to attack. Because he knows where you're anointed. That's why he's after your confidence, man. That's why he's after your ability to lead. That's why he's after your children. Because when a man rises up and begins to speak out what God Almighty has done in his life, there is no force of hell that can stop you. Do you believe what I'm saying, Jaron? Then nothing can stop you when you praise God for what he's done. It will come to pass. Those taunts of the enemy, they're just prophesying the future and the things that will happen. You are an exceptional man of God. You are extraordinary in this house. Chris, you know, when the enemy taunts you and he says, man, this man cannot succeed in discipleship. And he's whispering in your ear, you know what you know right then? 
You know right then that you were made to succeed in discipleship. Come on. You know that that is your destiny, Chris. That you will be a great disciple that takes this house way further, my brother. Paul, when the enemy whispers in your ear and says, man, this man, he's not going to succeed in his latter years. He's too old. He's washed up. You can't do it. You can't be what all these other men are. You know what that means for you, Paul? It means that you are going to be exactly what the enemy is taunting you. It means that in your old age, you will bloom and grow like you never have before. And these years are your best years, brother. We could do this all day long, church. But the enemy is showing his hand in these moments. The very thing that he says is impossible is the very thing that our God will make possible. Jaron, when the enemy says to you that you cannot speak out loud the word of God, that you don't have what it takes to stand and speak up for God's word, you know what he's saying? You know what he's revealing to you? What he's most afraid of. He's terrified of you standing on the word of God because he knows that is what you're going to become. Brandon, when the enemy taunts you by saying that you will never enter into your calling in the kingdom, you will never produce anything, he's telling you that's what he's afraid of most in your life. And he's actually revealing what God says is going to happen, and he is playing his hand. He's telling you where to attack next. All the devil can produce is lies. That is his native tongue. It is all he can speak. You need to hear me on this. He cannot tell the truth. So when he speaks something about you, how in the world can that be factually accurate? His native tongue is lies. He's not going to tell you the truth. But he doesn't even realize that he's showing his card and he's saying, I am terrified because God Almighty is with this one. And I have nothing that I can do to cause him to fail if he walks in faith. Man, take that home with you tonight. And you take those taunts that have been lobbed your way that you've been wrestling with for a couple weeks, those things that you've internalized and refused to speak out, why don't you throw them in the garbage where they belong? Better yet, why don't you just put them outside as a doormat for the enemy next time he shows up? These taunts really have one goal in mind for you, church. They're to get you to slow down, to get you to back up, let up, or shut up. But you have the conquering spirit of Jesus Christ. You have the conquering spirit of Jesus flowing through your veins. Your heart is alive, pumping his blood to every limb of your body. Your heart is not pumping dust. God has breathed into you, and he's caused your body to come together that you might perform his will on the earth. We're not going to pander around the pull of despondency looking to mitigate the consequences of our face faith, we're actually going to magnify his cause that he's called us for. Church, for the days that the enemy is attempting to drop a huge pile of steamy taunts right on you, for those days we're talking about, go back to the word of God. Have your conquering spirit revived once again. Let yourself Know and be armed with the same zeal and purpose that your king has. Do you guys remember his purpose and reason for coming? It's 1 John 3, 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He's a lying liar. 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy the dominion of the devil. He actually walked the earth and he said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. He came to transform our scope of influence to match his scope of influence, destroying the devil's work. And he also came to bring the devil's scope of influence down to rubble where it belongs. Church, do not fear when your courage is contested. Christ has conquered, and his conquering spirit is in you. Amen. Don't let your pace get complacent when the taunts mount up and try to weigh you down. Not today. Christ has conquered, and his conquering spirit is in you. In your homes, let the word be the reason for every season. He will empower you to teach his decrees and stand your ground in a world that is constantly taunting us to renegotiate the standard. But we will not bow. Christ has conquered and his conquering spirit is in you. When the enemy taunts you with the thought that you will eventually fail and it's only a matter of time before you prove him right, those are more lies. Christ has conquered, and his conquering spirit is in you. Amen. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He will cause the rising of your faith and the revival of your heart as many times as it takes for you to accomplish the work that he has ordained for you since before the day you were born. Yeah. You are immortal until that goal is attained, and no taunt can harm you. Christ has conquered, and his conquering spirit is in you. Church, we're going to magnify the cause of Christ by consecrating ourselves into our divine design. When we operate with this mindset, there is not a taunt that is strong enough to make us flinch. There is not a lie that can be lobbed at us that will make us duck and cover. There's not a confrontation with the enemy that will end in a truce. I'm just going to let that one set for a moment. There's not a confrontation with the enemy that is going to end in a truce. That's because we have the conquering spirit of Jesus roaring inside of us. That's like a lion ready to be let out of its cage. And let it out of the cage we will. We're coming to a close, but we have a few more passages that we want to share. Are you guys still with us? Then you're going to want to turn to Luke 22, and we're going to pick up in verse 35. Say enough is enough as you're turning there. It says, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciple said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. Church, we want to say arm yourself this morning. The enemy's taunts have gone on too long and enough is enough. Arm yourself spiritually for the full frontal attack that is going to be launched against these taunts. See, when it was said, Lord, here are two swords, Jesus' response was, 
That's, that's enough right That'll there. Do. Those two swords, that's enough for you. Guys, we have the baptism of power and a conquering spirit at work inside of us. Guys, it's time to delay no longer. We are going to begin by practicing in here what we will perform out there. We're going to have a Holy Ghost throw down, and you will be filled, and then you will turn and strengthen your families and your brothers. And we are going to win with the two swords that we have in our hands. You ready for the first sword? The first sword is Psalm 19, verse 7. Come on. Enough is enough. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Check this next part. Reviving the soul. Souls need to be revived, and there's really only one way to accomplish that, church. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You know, the truth is, we've tried to overcome in so many different ways. I've tried to overcome. Oh, just keep it private. Just keep it private, and eventually, you know, you can overcome. I've tried to overcome, like, thinking good thoughts in my head. Like, if I think positive thoughts and ignore the taunt, I'm going to overcome. No, no, that's not how you do that. What about just leaving them uncontested for a period of time? whether short or long, and thinking they'll just go away by themselves. No, church, that's not the prescription. That's not the first sword. We now know with an even greater confidence that there are two ways that we get up from the dirt, two ways that we stand back to our feet, two ways that we rise up from the taunts, and the first is the very word of God. The perfect word of God is the answer. It revives your soul. That means that it revives your discouraged mind. The word of God takes a discouraged mind and it inserts life into it. That means that the word of God revives your dead will and direction. That means the will that you had is dead, but the word of God revives it and brings it alive and in shalom with God's will. Thirdly, The word of God revives your wicked emotions. That's right, because our emotions are liars. Our feelings are wicked, and we need the truth, the ultimate truth of the word of God to direct and revive our emotions and get them in line with his. Psalm 119.42 actually says, we will answer the taunts of the enemy because we trust in his word. As we engage with the word of God, and as we put our trust in the word of God, then the taunts no longer come to us. We stand up and stare the taunt in the face, and we respond back to it with a taunt. Go back to where you came from, and you have no power over me. In the face of the enemy and his taunts, you must pick up the sword of the word of God. Say enough is enough, and just move forward, church. Now, we're LCM. And you know that the word of God is everything to this church. I know that. But most importantly, what we grasp, how we grasp that sword is we actually have our love for the word of God revived every single day. Our hunger for the word, our hunger to consume the word and act it out instead of just a daily reading of the word. 
That's how you become familiar with your sword, as you ask the Lord to revive your love for the Word of God so much that you long for it every day and long to put it into practice. The second sword can be found in Ezekiel 36. Turn with us to verse 15. It says, no longer will I make you hear the taunts of the nations. And no longer will you suffer the scorn of the peoples or, listen to this, cause your nation to fall. Wow. Let you chew on that. Declares the sovereign Lord. You see, the Lord prophesies to his nation that he will not allow them to hear the taunts anymore, nor suffer scorn. Notice that God is not saying that he's just going to take away the taunts, but that the people will not hear them. They won't find a nesting place in this space right here. Yeah. How is he going to do this? Well, continue with us in verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The second sword that you pick up to fight against the taunts of the enemy is the sword of the Spirit of God resting in you. We know, and many of us have been baptized in the Spirit, but we know that this is a many-time occurrence that we must be experiencing every single day. That weapon to you is like a sword in your hand. When you are operating with this sword, the taunts will be there. The enemy will keep trying. You just won't hear them like you used to. Amen. You'll be empowered with a new spirit, and you will charge forward clothed with power to take the enemy. Amen. The spirit will be in you and empower you to actually use the first sword that you have, the sword of the word in your hand. The spirit will cause you to follow all his laws. Now, lest you think we're talking about the 613, grasp something here. The Torah commands that the people of God conquer the enemies of God. A great majority of the Torah is aimed at making sure the people of God uproot and completely destroy seven stronger enemies than them. And the Torah says, if you don't, it'll be like barbs in your eyes. But the Torah commands that they do this. What does the Spirit of God do? It empowers you to conquer the enemies of God as prophesied in the law of God. With that said, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of conquering, and the Spirit of God will rest in you to overcome and conquer the enemies of God all around yeah, you. come on. Church, stand to your feet. Worship team. Church, this morning, we say enough is enough. The enemy's gone on taunting us too long, and today we're going to do something about it. We're actually going to come towards you today, and you're going to come towards us, and we're going to meet at this altar and pray that the conquering spirit that is the spirit of God, that is the word of God, will empower us for Adonai's global cause. If you have lost your zeal for the word, if you have lost zeal for the word of God, then I want you to come to this side of the room, because the conquering spirit is going to be revived in your heart this morning. 
If you are fired up for zeal for his word, I want you to come here and begin to pray for people. If you have lost the fire of God in your life and you want to have that re-wet, if you want to have the fire of God, the conquering spirit in you, I want you to run to this side of the room. And I want those who are overflowing with the conquering spirit to come to this side of the room and begin to pray. This morning, you can put your foot down and say, enough is enough. I've gone on living too long like this, and I'm going to do something about it. Respond this morning and let the conquering spirit fill your life. Holy one, thank you for this morning.